Thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. One of my favorite scenes from any movie ever is in that cinematic classic Independence Day. That's right. And I watch it every Independence Day because it's the dumbest movie ever and I love it. It's obviously not. It, this, this is, let's be honest, this is not a streetcar named Desire or, or Casablanca. This is just a fun does my wife always says, I watch dumb guy movies where things explode. That's what my wife always says to me. And that's exactly the voice she uses too. If you ask her, maybe she'll do it for you. Uh, I, I can hear it in my sleep now, but it's true. It's true, I do. Because, you know, I, people are like, do you watch dramas at home or horror films? I'm a minister. People are like, do you want to watch films about, like, they have this one about evil and spiritual warfare? Like, I live that all the time. I don't need to go watch that on TV. Like, why? You know what I mean? Like, isn't that silly? Like, dramas, like, how many people are they going to kill on Grey's Anatomy? Is there anybody left? Like, the people watch, you know, this is us. Are they all dead yet? Like, how do they keep, how does that show even work? You know, I, but I'm a guy, and I watch guy shows and guy movies, and, you know, in, in the one scene in Independence Day, they're, they're escaping from all the destruction, the aliens have come, and, and uh, Judd Hirsch is the dad of Jeff Goldblum, and he's looking at the ex-wife, and, he, and they're still kind of in love, and he's trying, he tried to get to her to help her, and he goes, Ah, there's love there, still love there, I see. And she goes, ah, you know, love was never the problem. And he turns, he points at her, and he goes, all you need is love. John Lennon, smart guy, shot in the back, very sad, you know. He said, it's just it's such a funny moment because we all know that, right? Everybody knows that phrase, like, all you need is love, love is what the world needs. And we see bumper stickers from really bad theology that say things like, love wins. And yeah, love wins, but what, what is love? What does that mean? The Bible talks so much about this idea of love. But all of us in our media, movies, books, TV, whatever, we understand that in some semblance, some understanding that love is everything. But we know it's not that simple. It's really not. A few weeks back, we talked a little bit about this idea of sacrificial love in Romans chapter 12. And now we're going to put some legs on that. We're going to put some action into that today. As we talked about last week, Romans 1 through 11 lays that groundwork for us to understand God's sweeping redemption story. It's doctrinal, it's the depth of God's word, how it all connects together. We need to know that, but it's personal for us and what we do in our lives. And from Romans 12 and forward, we see how we apply it corporately as God's people, all of us, but also relationally and individually as people here in the world, in our lives. So we're going to take a look today at Romans 13, 8 through 14 where we talk about the love of Christ and how it guides us and it moves us toward greater obedience to God, yet also to greater ministry and service to one another. So let's take a look here at Romans 13, starting in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. You shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. 
but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. One of the sweeping ideas in the second half of Romans is our personal responsibility, our accountability to God to be integral, to be real parts of the good, to be foundational pillars in our community of the good in our world. And by good and love, we mean biblical understandings of those ideas. We're not left to want for what those terms mean unless we don't want to accept what God's Word says. God tells us what they mean in the clear teaching of Scripture. He doesn't leave us in the dark on critical points like this. Many in our culture may say, we know love, it's, it's reimagining or it's involving. And to that as Christians, we say, no, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so is his word. And God's spirit is with us so that we understand his word. We're not suddenly, suddenly smarter than we were three centuries ago in our spiritual selves. Yes, we gain technological knowledge. Yes, we gain other understanding. But yet, if you notice morally, we're just as bad as we ever were. So in that sense, God's word has been and always will be clear on what it means for us to pursue the good in our world and in our lives. We're not wondering about that connection between God's call on us, and we learned last week that part of that call is that we worship him as living sacrifices. We've learned about this over the last several weeks, and that means we also respect each other in the world around us. That's part of that call. That's always have been part of that call. It's nothing new. Last week, we learned about how God commands us to treat others with dignity and respect. And to the Roman church, that referred to the state and to governance and chiefly to all authority. And we talked about that's hard for us. That's a tough pill to swallow sometimes because there are injustices in the world. And Paul never tells us we turn a blind eye to that. He doesn't tell us to pretend that doesn't happen. We are certainly commanded, though, in that passage, as in this one, to treat others, even those with whom we disagree, with dignity and respect. But this is about more than just people and the state or the government, and Paul is going to take it further. He's going to make it far more personal today. This is about our individual command to love and to serve all of our neighbors. Like I said, this is not new in Scripture is going to take us back here. He's going to take us back to look at this idea in Jeremiah's ministry. We're going to talk about this idea of how we are the great doers of good, how we don't let ourselves be overcome with evil, but we overcome it with good. We're going to look back in the ministry of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. So look what God says here in Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into the exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. See, healthy eating in the Bible. There it is. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, if you're a student of the Old Testament, this is a marked departure from the Exodus, which our fantastics are talking about on Thursday morning. It's not that God changes. God's plan is always that Israel would be his people to bless the nations, but Israel was disobedient, and as they were sent into exile, they find themselves in a very difficult situation as Babylon has 
conquered them. And yet, look what God commands them after they've been carried into captivity. Overcome evil with good. Do that in your community. Do that in your neighborhood. God gives an active command. It's a command to all of us. There's no exception here to whom this is made. There's no exception as to who this command applies to, who they're supposed to show good, who they're supposed to pray for, to seek the welfare of the city. And in fact, God does not put boundaries on his love and grace. He does command us to repent and come into obedience. This doesn't mean there is not a right and wrong, and there isn't a transformation that happens in our lives when we belong to God. We're not saying that. But God reaches out and wants us to bless and to love everyone. And as we continue through Romans 13, we're going to see that everyone means everyone. It does. That's what he's talking about. Now, earlier in Jeremiah 27, God promises that he will judge the wrongs that have been done to God's people and the wrongs that have happened, the brokenness that is occurring among the Babylonian culture. However, that does not excuse God's people from his command, his clear call for them to glorify him by loving and serving all peoples where they are. God is calling them in that culture, very foreign to them, very pagan, does not know the God who is real. He says, no, if you want to love me, love them. Love your neighbors. Seek the welfare of that city. Be a part of it. Pray for them. The way we should live our lives should be with intentionality and with purpose, that we would bring God the glory and that we would bless other people with purpose, prosperity, peace, and prayer. We're going to take a look at that here briefly and see God's heart does not change for his people, whether they're in Babylon and Rome or Ohio or wherever. And look what he says here. In this passage we just read, he says purpose for them. He goes, build homes and get involved in the lives. Be involved in your community. He says prosperity, not the material prosperity. He says build up your families. Build up your lives. That would show, in the case of the New Testament church, Christ. But God says, show them who I am. Live among them. He says, and live with them in harmony with grace, and he, this idea, this biblical understanding we've looked at in Romans, shalom, that abiding peace that God gives us for him and our lives and for our lives with others. And he says, pray for them. Ask God to bless them and to guide you and also to bless the city. All of this, God says, is that you would have the power, oh, those who belong to me, my people, that you would love and bless others, that you would seek the welfare of the place I have placed you. That's what God calls them to do. It's intentional that we would love and serve others right where we are. And that's how we love and serve God. Those two things are inextricably tied together. Displaced people are called to be a part of a world. And for us as spiritual sojourners in a world that seems pretty foreign, I don't know about you, but it seems pretty crazy nowadays. The importance of God's vision, the importance of God's purpose, the intention he has here is that we would be his people wherever he places us. And the importance of God's vision and God's purpose, we can't gloss over that and think about how quickly we want to move from, yeah, yeah, we get that, to, okay, now what do we do? And God says, hold on a minute, because we really don't get it. We get what we want to get and what we want to believe. The sticky part of purpose is that we take what God has made for good for all people, and we tend to try to squeeze that into our molds, and it's about what's good for us. In the depths of our minds and our hearts, this is what we do. 
we don't make it about loving our neighbors as much as we want to. We make it about loving us. And think about the first command God gives them here to build homes. And this isn't about houses. And if you have a house, just got a house, you're building a house, you have a great big house, you have a tiny little house, you have a tiny home, a mansion, a house on wheels, a van down by the river, like I don't, I don't care. This isn't about any of that. But this is about homes. You guys know the difference between a house and a home, right? Homes have purpose. They have character. They have an atmosphere. They have a presence about them. And the real question, the main purpose that we ask is, what about that home you have, the relationships you have, the family you have? Maybe it's just you, and it's you and your neighbors, or you and your, your grown kids, your nieces and nephews, your friends, your neighbors, your, your tribe of people that you hang out with, whoever that is. What's the purpose? How does, what's about those relationships? How are you loving and serving them? How are they loving and serving you? But even your stuff, what's the purpose of the car you have or that gift or the ability you have, that material resource you have, the opportunity, the time in your schedule? What are you doing with all of that to love your neighbor? What are you doing? Now, let's think about this for a minute. I love those shows on HGTV and DIY. I love them. I love them, but I especially enjoy House Hunters because it always starts something like this. He's a part-time ornithologist who wants to live in the mountains. She is an occasional hot yoga instructor who wants a Mediterranean lifestyle by the ocean. (laughs) Their budget is $4.6 million, and they're shopping for their dream home in Boise, Idaho. And you're like, (laughs) have you ever done that with that show? You're lying. You know what I mean? It's always like, and I'm wondering, who are these people that they find? Like the guy collects butterflies or something and volunteers with the United Way, but he's spending $17 million on a third beach house. Or... But, this, but we watch it. I'm sitting there like, well, I wonder, you know, I hope he picks B because A is a terrible place, you know. Have you, I, I, lo- I, love, I love those shows. I do. I don't watch a lot of TV, but if I'm going to watch something, it's probably either the Military Channel or HGTV or DIY. Not because I can do anything myself. You can ask the campus team. I break more things than I fix around here, but... I just, I enjoy that. It's really interesting how that stuff works to me. And what's interesting about it is, is this. I love these shows because people go out and they think they're going to find this thing that's going to make them happy. Some huge house. Or it's one of those shows where they have this, uh, I'm going to put an insane water park in my backyard and pretend it's a swimming pool. Have you guys seen these ones? Yeah. So they're going to put a 90-foot NASA-certified death spiral in there. And maybe it's because I'm the COO of the church, but I sit here and think, what insurance do these people have that they can have this in their backyard? I wouldn't put a 10-year-old boy, let alone 10 of them in that, for five seconds without a lifeguard. But they have these shows, and these people think, if only I'd have this house, or I'd have this, you know, like, wave pool in my backyard, or whatever the heck these things are these people put in, and I, I just, I want this, I need that, we got to get this, this is what we've always wanted. What I'd love to see them do is go back to those shows like a year later and see if they're really happy. You know, it's funny. I like those shows, I think, because it's a snapshot of how those people in that moment view their own lives and their own purposes. You see their values. You see their priorities. And somehow as Christians, we think that the world around us is immune to doing the same thing with you and I. We think we can define love as some sort of casual politeness towards God and towards our neighbors. Maybe it's that awkward wave, or maybe you know them really well and you've 
borrowed their tools for years and you've hung out together a little bit and done some things, but do they know you? And would they say, man, you know what? Jesus is so really important to that family. You know, God's fingerprints are all over how they live and what they do. I can see that their relationship with God really matters as if we were on House Hunters or something. If we were on that show, what would the synopsis of our house hunting, of our home hunting, of our adventure for our lives, our purpose, how would someone describe that at the open of a show about us? Our home, not our buildings, not our apartments, not any of that stuff, our values. And this, can't, this is not just for us as individual family units, but as a church family as well. What do we value as a church? How are we showing this to be true in everything we do and what we say and how we live in everything that we are? That's why our session, our ruling elders, are working right now to find God's purpose, God's vision for our church's future, and how we love and serve out there in the world around us, not just in here. This passage about love is really talking about God's heart. If God's heart is love, the purpose God has for us can be defined like this. Purpose is God's call for us to actively and intentionally share God's love. And the Bible, again, defines what God's love is. For God's love for us is this. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. God defines this for us, the gospel. How do we intentionally, with purpose, how do we share God's love in all we do, all we have, all we speak, and all we believe? In other words, how do we live a gospel life? That's what our church is trying to define for us. That's what we have to define for ourselves. God defines it, and it's, it's God's to define in Scripture. He says our purpose here is to share the good news of the gospel, the, great, the last great commandment He gives us. But the funny thing about this idea that God says here, he says to us, all of this, all the commandments, you guys recognize the Ten Commandments and other things that have been shared here. All of them, he says, summed up in one phrase, not word, one message, not just one word, but one message. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Think about that. Think about what that says to us right here. God's purpose the Bible says we have this purpose, and God defines it. And he says the law, the scripture, all the things I tell you, do this, don't do that, it's not the opposite of love. See, sometimes we define that. We think that law is the opposite of love. That's not what this is about, though. What purpose does your home, does your job, what purpose does your stuff, your giftedness, your calendar, your bank account, whatever it is, had to fulfill that gospel command God has placed upon us. That gospel living. How is it pouring out of all those areas of your life and mine? If we can't answer that quickly in our minds, if we can't just come up with something right away, we probably have some praying to do. All of us. And friends, loving your neighbor as yourself is not just being nice or tolerant or making people feel like you care when you don't and then going on to mind your own business. That's not love. That's really about our personal convenience. That's about us avoiding the messy things. In fact, we often wrongly think that obedience to the law is the opposite of love, that, you know, being tough on somebody is that or, or doing... So, see, the law's not that way. Obedience is seeking God's heart, and God's heart and God's word are always the same thing. 
How do we see love as the opposite of the law? First, think about that we have to know God's law. So if we want to know what God commands, we have to know God's word. We have to seek God's heart. We have to look for him. But we think we know better than God. And we think we know better than him. That's part of our sinfulness. So how do we think that sometimes love is the opposite of law? Have you ever lied to somebody because you thought it was better than telling them the truth? Have you ever done that? This is probably my least favorite thing in the world. It happens. Well, I didn't tell you about that because I knew you'd get upset. See, God says that's not really love. That's about I don't want to deal with the frustration of that. And I don't, I don't think, I've decided, I've judged in my mind, it's not going to be worth it, so I'm not going to tell you. Does that mean it's right to lie? No. But God says here, all the commands I've given you in my word and my command to love, they're completely compatible. They're totally and completely compatible. You don't have to pick. You don't have to choose. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you have this. It does work. You don't know better than me. You don't have to pick and choose. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to show you how to do it. And if you trust me and pray and follow me, it's going to work out. Oftentimes, I think we lie or cheat or steal or just don't do what we ought to do. We duck under things we shouldn't because we think it'll suit others better, but usually it'll suit us better. You see, our whole lives can become like an episode of House Hunters, our spiritual lives. This needs to be exactly like this. I need to find this perfect situation, and I'll do anything to make it happen, even if I have to tell a little white lie here or just do a little something there. That's okay, because, you know, in the end, it's all going to be better. Because I need it, I want it. And God says in verse 10, the purpose of the law, he says, is that we do no harm. If you read through that, love does no wrong to a neighbor. No wrong. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. It's not, all those other commands can be obeyed. It's not against the rules. Do no harm. We can't even get doctors to do that anymore. I'm not trying to pick on doctors or nurses or anyone. This is just a sign of sin in our culture, right? We do harm, all of us, to each other in all kinds of ways. And we justify it. We do. God tells us here with absolute certainty our calling is to love and to serve Him first. And the evidence by which we show we are seeking and loving Him is by loving others. That is the purpose we are to live by. And when we have His motives and we don't worry about having all this be perfect or exactly what we want or having that, He says, you're not going to maybe have the house you want. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But what you're going to have is you're going to have the purpose. You're going to have the home. You're going to have the fullness of life that people are going to look at you and say, you know what? I want what they have. They have a smaller house than me, but look how much they love each other. Or they have as big a house as we do, but they're happy and we're miserable. They've got everything we've got and they're happy. They've got nothing we have and they're happy or whatever it is. They're going to say, what in the world is it about them? That's the prosperity that we're talking about here, that godly prosperity that doesn't come from the bank, it doesn't come from an address, but it comes from what you do with everything God has given you. 
not having a busier schedule or a fuller resume for your kids because you think it's going to build them a better life or whatever it is. But the real purpose is you raise them to live by. What you tell them matters. If you want to do no harm to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, seek God first above all these things. Maybe today that begins with our final P, and that's the one there, prayer. Pray to God. Ask Him what He desires from you and your life and your job and your stuff and your future. I've been doing this lately in my life. I've been saying, God, here's the point I am at. You know everything about me, even the stuff that other people don't. Just you and Mandy and the dog, no. Dog's not telling anybody, trust me. God, what do you want from me? It's hard to ask God that question and really, really ask him and say, God, what do you want from me? But the more I give him that and ask him, the more I see him at work doing amazing things that I could never have done in my life and in the world around me, the more God is moving and doing things that I can't even imagine. Have you prayed for God to show you how to love him better? How to love him better and to love others better that you would be his witness? You should. But if you pray that prayer, don't expect it to be a casual thing or a, a quick fix. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. But if you pray that prayer to God, that's a powerful prayer. And God's not going to let you off the hook with that. He's not. He's actually going to change your life. And that's perhaps the last P we should look at here, perspective. Perspective is God's call for us to live gospel lives that have eternal vision. To love and serve others just as Jesus would do with us. Because God says he's going to go with us. So what God's calling us to do here is have a different perspective. The best way to love each other is to have that eternal perspective. Consider the words in verse 11. We must understand the present time. And what is the present time? Verse 12 defines that. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. God's going to return sooner than we can imagine. But no matter where we are in that redemption cycle, this life for us, it's almost like a vapor, isn't it? A picture came up on my Facebook feed of my son in junior high soccer when they won a championship uh, when I coached his team and then we were getting ready to move. And that fall, another guy took over and coached because I was in the middle of moving to a new church in a new state. And they won a championship and it's a picture of him and his buddies holding up their trophies. Well, now they're all seniors in college and my son is married. And my wife said to me, that was only eight years ago. Do you remember when you were a little kid and eight years seemed like forever? Right? My son at 21 will still say, man, that eight years took so long. For me, eight years is like a quick, a quick trip to the store in the car wash. And I'm like, has it been eight years, really? Do you feel like that? Yeah. Life is a vapor. It's gone before we can imagine. And as Thanksgiving is around the corner, and we think about what we're thankful, what we're thankful for. What will we thank God for in our lives? The things we want to ask God, we have to, as we thank Him, we should say, God, why this now in my life? Maybe it's a challenge and you want to be thankful, but you're saying, God, why am I dealing with this? Or maybe it's, God, I have all this, now what? Or God, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. What do you want from me now? Where am I going to go? But if you take that to God, the point that Paul is driving home to believers, focusing on God's love and loving others, is that we have this eternal purpose. We build our lives with eternal perspective on the things of God, things that last. The same God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the God who told Israel to love the Babylonians, 
yet not to live like them. The same God that told the Roman church to have purpose in their lives and in their homes and in their selves to draw others to Christ by loving them is the same God who tells us that today. If you've dealt with something difficult, if you're dealing with something painful, you understand what I mean when I say we need to have eternal purpose, that in a split second, if you've ever had someone taken from you quickly, if you've ever had a scary near-death experience, you know you have a different perspective after that, don't you? That's the kind of perspective God says we need to have every day. We can understand this. Even if you're not a Christian, that can make sense to you. Jesus is saying for us the time for a new perspective and a new way to live is here. The hour has come, and we have to wake up. Maybe today it was easy to wake up because you got an extra hour of sleep. Maybe you're like people in my house that woke up at 2 a.m. and were trying to decide what time it really was. That's kind of a Marty McFly paradox, isn't it? What time am I? How much sleep? My wife was awake, she said, late last night, early in the morning. She said, how much sleep am I really getting? You can do the math on it, but you know, I mean, it's just, God says the time is coming. I'm coming back soon. Don't worry about all this stuff. Life is too short, he says. Life is too short for us to worry about this. But God says for us, you know what? God says, I want you to have this perspective. I want you to see this. I want you to love so-and-so, blank, person at work, person in your neighborhood, someone nobody else is caring for, and I want you to focus on this because this stuff matters. This other stuff you've been worrying about, you need to pray and say, God, what do I need to put on the shelf and what do I need to pick up that really matters to us? Because God says that time is coming. The time is coming. How do we know we're doing this? The picture we get is that we are wearing Christ, we're putting on Christ. Have you ever thought about this idea we're supposed to dress for success? You all look very nice this morning, but I try to look nice on Sunday mornings, right? And it's not because I need to impress all of you. You know me by now. It's not going to work anyhow. It's not. But we dress for success. We put on Christ. Look what it says here. We cast off the works of darkness and we put on the armor of life and uh, armor of light in verse 12b. Think about like when maidens get dressed up and knights go out into battle and they have their flags and their armors all shined up. Some of you are probably Renaissance Fair people. That's a different sermon or counseling session I can have with you later. I'm not going to get into that one today, but you know, you get dressed up. You're going out there. You're representing a king and a kingdom. It's like you're wearing your tuxedo or your best outfit or ladies, you're getting a dress like at the winter or Sharon or wherever you go get fancy dresses that cost a lot of money that you have to wear to stuff. You know what I mean? You put that on, and you want to look good, you want to look good. But what Paul's saying here is, this is more about looking good. This is about who you're representing. Like if you're going out on the field of battle, if you're going out, you're carrying a banner of a king and a kingdom. Like you're in the Lord of the Rings or something. You're going to go out there, you're representing someone else. But that's not just something you wear to represent them. It's protection, it's guidance, it's strength. That armor of light, putting on Christ that we would belong to him. And what we're hearing here is this idea that spiritually we need to dress for success. We need to put on Christ. We need to seek him first. If we love God first and then he gets a hold of us and we love other people, he says, don't worry, I'm going to do the rest. That's what God's saying. He says, wear Christ. Spiritually, seek after him and dress for success. Have the purposes he gave 
Know what real prosperity is with that eternal perspective. And find real peace, not because everything is going your way, you're getting everything you want, but because you know what really matters. And it starts each day by praying that God would give you that perspective to know what really matters. Giving your heart to Christ doesn't make you perfect, but it does give you a calling to love others and to love God and to hate the sin and to put it aside, to have a better life, a fuller life, the life that God intends for us to have. I guess it's true that all you really need is love. And in that gospel kingdom we serve, friends, that's what it means for us to belong to Christ and to love others. Let's start that today as we pray and seek God together. Let's pray. God, that we would know what it means to belong to you. What it means that we would have a new purpose and a new perspective. God, that we would know that we are not the same as we were. Not because we have it all together, but because you, by your Spirit, transform us, that you love us, that you use us, that you change us. God, I thank you for the way that you guide us from thinking it has to all be exactly the way we think it needs to be to the way that you have already ordained. We thank you, as even we learned last week, this idea of your providence, that you can use even the most broken situations for your glory. God, that we will learn how to love people, those around us, our friends and neighbors, not just in some fake, casual way like we're all kind of conditioned to do by our world, but that we'd really reach out to people and say, hey, how are you? No, really, how are you? That we'd forge those real relationships where they would see us and say, you know what? There's something about those people. Their faith is it's different. It's something I can't put my finger on. I've, it reminds me of my grandma or that Sunday school teacher or that scout leader or that person I had in my life so many years ago. God, that you would just use us to reach out to be those people in the world around us. That we would not fall into the trap of saying and doing all kinds of horrific things. Lord, in the next couple of weeks, with all the charged stuff that's happening in our world with elections coming up, even at a local level, that we would be people of peace, of grace, of dignity, and most of all, of love, of mercy and compassion, and how we treat and how we respond to things, even the things that aren't fair, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Please stand with us as we close our...